Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. But now I want to talk about, you were the new one, uh, but could you also talk about times where you were the only one in the room? Any aspect of your identity where you felt like you were sort of an outsider or an other, it could be your experience as the, the child of military parents or um, other aspects of your identity where you're showing up. And I'm asking because I feel like it's something all of us can relate to at some point where we feel, oh, I don't know how that kind of feels a bit. And I personally have felt that way at various points in my life. But how has that uh, showed up in your life and how did you navigate it? It's almost throughout my life, I guess more in my career, because early on, I think I had a plan for my career. You know, I wanted to be a manager, a marketing manager, whatever. But early on, I got on the executive level, right? And so being on the executive level, I'm usually the only one, whether it's the only female, the only Black person, typically, um, or even working in corporate, you'd be surprised. Like, there's just not many of us, right? There's not many Black people in general. So I think those are situations where you're the only one. It is somewhat painful to be in a situation where you know that you are you're going to be a voice. I'm always going to be a voice. If I'm the only one in the room, I'm going to be a voice. I'm going to be that voice because I feel like that's my responsibility, right? Voice for what? It's a voice for people that are not in the room. If our mission is to serve people that are underserved, they're not in the corporate room. They're not in the boardroom. You know what I'm saying? But in these these other people in the boardroom, they don't understand that perspective. Even if it's being on the board of a nonprofit, of an arts organization, or whatever it is, I'm typically in leadership-type positions, and I'm typically the only one. And so I'm not afraid to say something from, from a perspective of somebody else. I would love for that person to be in the room, but right now I'm the only person. So the way that you handle it is you speak up. I'm not saying that you're going to keep your job, but, but I am saying that like you have to stand for something. I think that's the beauty of entrepreneurship because you can speak up. You don't have to worry about that. And you're free to say what you want to say and do what you want to do and fight for who you want to fight for. Have you found success? You speak up, people may be rocked, shocked, Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. You didn't even answer. You didn't even finish. I'm going to let you no, finish. No, no, no. You go, you go for it. Because, I mean, that's sort of a mic drop. Like, is this successful? It is. Because what happens is that because you're that person that speaks up and actually says things from a different perspective, people seek that out, right? They want you in the room because, and especially after, especially after 2020, wait, especially after 2020, I will say that, right? People have blatantly told me, I want you on this panel because I know you're going to say something that's going to shift the conversation toward an equitable message or a message where, you know, we don't have a diverse panel. We need somebody on the panel that's not afraid to say something. Or in the room, people will sit there and they'll talk and they'll plan and they'll say, Camila, but what do you think? And then, you know, because I know they want that perspective that people, that other people are afraid to say what's the truth. But what I care about is people. I care about empathy. I care about making a difference. I care about making an impact. I care about the mission. So that's that's where I'm always coming from. This sometimes gets lost, even in rooms of power. 
there are still individuals who feel like there's something missing and they seek out that thing. They may not like the taste of it. You know, not everybody likes taking, you know, cough syrup when they're sick, but they like the result. Sounds like that's sort of what's happening there a bit. But again, kind of shifting gears outside of that room and into rooms that are sort of your more intimate domain. In what ways has your experience as an entrepreneur positively impacted your family life, your home life? You're a mompreneur. That's its own business, if you want to call it that, um, that can be as unpredictable as, as, you know, a commercial enterprise. But how has your entrepreneurial journey impacted you, if at all, with your experience as a mom, your family life in general, your relationships, your connections inside your home? Is there any connection there? Absolutely. I mean, there has to be, right? <laughs> like you say, you don't really have a choice. And I will say, you know, a lot of times people think that entrepreneurship brings that freedom where you can do, you know, what you want, when you want, which is true. I mean, but I worked from home before in my corporate job because we worked internationally. So I've always had that since, you know, for a long time. So I won't say that. But what I will say is that with my kids, I can see that it's giving them an, an alternate path. So in school, they don't necessarily push entrepreneurship as much as they should, I believe, right? Now we're starting to see different programs, but it's not as much. It's not always like this is your option, right? So for them to see someone that is doing entrepreneurship, it gives them, oh, there's another alternative. I didn't know that when I was younger, but they can see that. And then they also see someone that is pushing toward what they're passionate about, right? That is working and and doing things that complement their strengths, their passion, their purpose in life. And so that's really, to me, the most impactful thing is that you're showing your kids that they can pursue things that they love and that they're passionate about and they can make something out of that. Excellent, your impact. And, and I find with young children, I have quite a few nieces and nephews, and I'm always surprised by how attentive they are when you think that they're not. Mm-hmm. and how they see things in the day-to-day that really, really impact them, which is good. So do you have a co-founder? I don't. You're a solo founder. <laughs> Talk to us about what went into that decision, if you like it, if you're searching, what you would recommend. Uh, it's a very unique experience. It's already lonely, and not having a partner, I suppose, would put you in a different headspace. Maybe you can move faster, but just talk to us about that experience. I don't know that you can move faster. <laughs> Okay, I don't I don't have a co-founder. And I think because I guess I'm the type of person that when I formulate something, I want it to be kind of go in the direction that is very like true to myself, right? And so that was one of the reasons why I didn't like go grab a co-founder. And then also I think just because of my work experience. So working for somebody for 25 years and especially working on the executive level, like I can manage million dollar budgets. You know, I, I'm also creative and visionary and I know how to do graphic design. I can build a website. So like all these things, I do have those strengths personally. I'm not saying if I went back that I would not do it, right? Because you're kind of doing all the work yourself. And even though Maybe I can do this stuff, but it's not like I'm super passionate about, you know, putting this budget together. Like I am, I I can do it. It's great. It's fun. But I'm sure there's someone else that's like, yeah, let's do this operational thing. And right, you know, that someone that's more excited about that. So 
I mean, that's my journey, but I would definitely, I think that if you have things that you know are not your strong suit, that maybe it'll take someone, someone's passionate about it. Maybe it'll take them five minutes to do something that it'll take you hours to do. Then why not outsource? Why not get a co-founder that will bring in that strength with you, with you? So how do you make it work without a co-founder? Would you be at a different place if you did have one? I don't know. I can't predict that. I, I, I can't, I can't, I'm, I can't assume that, you know, I'm going where I'm going and I'm going to get there either way. How about that? But um, I probably would be at a different place. Maybe I would be further. Maybe what I'm doing would be tweaked some. Maybe so. So in the journey of entrepreneurship, like I said, I'm very well-rounded, you know, I have all these things, but what you don't realize in entrepreneurship is that there's definitely things that you don't know. So maybe if there's a co-founder that had, you know, several great exits, right? You know, and that would definitely add to what I'm doing because maybe they have connections. Maybe they can say, okay, you need to structure this this way. The things that I had to learn the hard way because I didn't have anyone to reach out to, to, you know, discover those things, you know, that could have been eliminated. Possibly. Speaking of making decisions, we want to ask you a question about money management. If you will be so kind to indulge us there. Let's say that you get a million dollars. Somebody shows up in one of your virtual events. They peek around, they poke their head around, they like what they see. And there's a million dollars burning a hole in their purse or pocket or wallet or what have you, crypto or otherwise. And they want to give that to you because they trust how you will spend it in any way. They don't care. No, no strings attached. They're not going to come back. That person actually, you never see them again. You're not held accountable for it. How would you spend that million dollars in funding right now, whether that be for greater than equal or in your personal you know, pursuits? Under greater than equal, there is an initiative called Fashion Futurist, right? And that's a whole nother podcast episode, okay? But, so I would definitely be very happy about taking that money because really the initiative for Fashion Futurists eventually, and you can check out the roadmap, but is eventually, I mean, the premise of it is to help smaller designers and people that are not necessarily like these large brands get into the Web3 space, whether that's events, whether it's metaverse or whatever that is. I would absolutely invest in human capital because a lot of it has to do with the technology, right? Because now I think when I first had this ideal years ago, I don't know that the technology, or at least maybe I didn't know that the technology exists, but now we have things like DAOs. And of course we have AI and machine learning and all the, all those things. But the way that I was thinking of connecting this ecosystem, it just didn't present itself at the time. So investing in human capital in the sense that someone that is very passionate and strategic about technology, developers, finance, <laughs> and operations. Because if you look at the numbers, there's so many strategic things that you can do when it comes to finances. You may look at something and say, oh, okay, well, we need to lean into this area. We need to spend money in that area. This strategy isn't working. We need to change our revenue model. Like, those types of things and having someone that, that can just look at the numbers and strategically think that way, um, I think is very valuable. And of course, I'm kind of a little bit past the ideation stage, so more like the pre-seed, 
you know, stage. And so developing that MVP, whatever that is, you know, going through that development process and testing and going back, you know, that that's where I would spend that money and, and doing it in a way that, you know, it has some legs. And I think that's where the, the finance part comes in, right? Because you're making sure that you have enough money to last you, but then you're also doing it in a strategic way where you're shifting whatever you need to shift to bring in more money. We'll so. talk about fashion futures. What is what is okay. Yeah, okay, so I'm launching a podcast. Might be out by this <laughs> by the time this comes out. But I mean, basically it's it's a community of people, right? It's a community of people that are thinking forward with fashion, right? And so the ideal is that the current system that is happening with fashion, very wasteful, very, very bad social impact on the world, and but it's working within a system. So it's about creating that new system. Perhaps it's a local designer in India, or it's a local organization in Africa, you know, in, in Ghana or something like that, or even in the United States, who knows? But it's putting together and making sure that we can collaborate together, making sure that we have resources that we can connect on, because what happens is these larger companies have the resources and the resources are out there, but it's so disconnected, right? And so how do we connect each other and create the system that we're communicating, we're sharing resources, making sure that no one really gets left behind in this next iteration of what we're doing with technology or, you know, connecting each other globally. So the podcast is really focused on how do we accelerate to 2030 climate goals, right? Accelerate the fashion industry, but we're talking to people that have innovative solutions and really a focus on people that are in the global South, right? So this goes back to the whole thing about empathy, right? Because people are telling their stories and then they're learning about innovative solutions that actually make an impact. That is simply brilliant. And one of our earliest episodes back in season one, eFitter app, great folks there, Elizabeth Ooh. and Judith. Yeah, a, amazing group of folks. It's not just the Global South. They're based in the UK, London specifically, London mm -hmm. area, and it might be a connection to be made there because they were very interested in this issue as well. Fast fashion has its cost. Yeah. It really does. Let's stay in this environment, in this arena, and just talk about artists. And it doesn't have to be musicians, but I'm wondering for somebody who is so fashion forward as yourself, who really inspires you in that realm? Like, who is somebody that you looked to and you're like, yeah, that person's style makes me want to improve or develop or expand and augment my own style? Like, for somebody who, you know, and I've met a number of people here in Nashville where fashion is their thing, but for you, like, who do you look to, if anybody, to kind of get in that creative spirit? It's always inspiring to me to talk to a local designer or a designer that is not necessarily a designer, artist in general, right? Or a designer that is not as well known, like to find someone that's like, oh, how do people not know about this? This is amazing. Because I feel like uh, people that are creative, like they kind of took themselves and they put it in a package and they said, here is what I have to offer. I don't know if you're going to like it or not. Maybe you'll pay me for it. Maybe not. Like, I think that's such a bold move to put something so intimate out to the world that to me, that's like, wow. I don't know how you did that. I mean, that's part of the reason why I work with creators. I'm in awe of people that can just take that leap of faith and share their most intimate parts with the entire world, right? And just be so self-expressive. And then I don't want to sound cliche, but 
<laughs> who gets me inspired? Beyonce. And I would tell you, I'm sorry. The reason why it it just it it's so interesting to me how music can change your mood and can empower you and it's almost as if and I you probably don't listen to Beyonce enough but if you did you'd know I don't know what you listen to I was listening to Beyonce earlier today okay but it's like affirmations in your ear you know what I'm saying like you feel strong you feel powerful and. It's just, you know, it's her lyrics, it's it's what's behind the music, it's what she stands for. So, and I'm not saying she's a perfect person at all, and I'm not like a official member of the Beehive or anything like that, but I will say that it just blows my mind that you can shift your mood and be inspired and feel stronger and, you know, even, you know, confident or whatever by listening to the music. And I applaud her for bring out positive music. Yeah, that's good. I know I reacted, but it, you know, it was a blip. It's just, you're right. A lot of people have been touched and inspired, but that doesn't make it any less meaningful for any of those individuals, yourself included. So that's a good thing. Now let's talk about local more because it seems mm-hmm. to really be top of your lips now, tip of the tongue. Uh, so talk to us about Nashville's local startup ecosystem. What have you found? You've been here, you know, a, a good enough time to kind of see the recent and not too recent changes that have happened here. What are you most excited about here in this Nashville local ecosystem? And what are you looking forward to building on so that it can really become self-actualized as a group? Mm-hmm. You know, it's good that the ecosystem exists, right? <laughs> that it exists. And there is a lot of tech companies that are moving to Nashville. So that part is good. And then just to see the it growing and just more opportunities to interact with each other, I think is good. There's definitely, I mean, there's definitely a lot of different groups that are focused on startups. So I think that that's good. I think that there, it's good that there is an ecosystem. What I'm looking forward to is probably more diversity. And I say that just diversity in every sense of the word, right? Not just talking about, I am talking about race or ethnicity, but I'm also talking about just people from different places that are bringing new ideas. So whether it's someone from New York or from, you know, Silicon Valley or whatever it is, and they're coming here to kind of do their startup, I just look forward to new ideas and new people in the room and not just, you know, a eco chamber of, people, you know, talking to each other. I just, diversity in every every sense of the word. You just brought up a thought in my mind, and I want to ask you this because it's been a few years now, but I was reading a book, you know, on America's nations, and it had mm-hmm. divided up different cultures based on the U.S., not necessarily related to borders. You know, you have, you know, why is New York and San Francisco or the Pacific Northwest, like, why are they actually pretty similar when it comes to attitudes about certain issues? It's because, you know, they were founded by some of the same people in terms of the lineage and just different aspects like that. In this area of the country, we probably fall squarely into the greater Appalachian nation, according to this theory in the book. And I will reference that for those who are interested. But it talks about one aspect of this culture is, you know, it's sort of developed in, uh, you know, the wild, wild west, so to speak, where honor culture was like very high and people defended their property in a very different way. It wasn't like we were all together in these cities like you may have been in the Midlands in Philadelphia or D.C. or even on the West Coast where 
you interacted with people, but you sort of had your territory and you were protecting it uh, in any way that you kind of saw fit. But you also had this neighborly vibe as well, where you knew that you needed to rely on people that you could trust. So I'm wondering if you think that that characteristic is unique to this place, because you're coming from a different nation in North Carolina. And also, if you see that bearing out in the startup ecosystem in terms of how people interact with each other. That explains everything about Nashville. <laughs> it does. So so I'm you keep in mind, I moved here from D.C., right? So... Nashville is actually, you wouldn't know it, it's actually very diverse, right? But when you go out, people are very segregated. They have their different pockets. Any community or that you're in, whether it's the startup community or the art community, wherever, people kind of know each other. They keep their contacts a little, you know, close and they, you know, kind of just work with each other in that way. And it's kind of a process to get into that community. What you're saying completely makes sense. It does. But I think that Nashville has a lot of people moving in. So people that are moving in from New York or, you know, California or DC, and they're like, what is going on here? This is unacceptable. I need to interact with everyone. I need, I need this culture in order to thrive, right? And so I think people like that are coming in and they're breaking the mold and they're saying, yeah, we're not doing that. And I mean, even even we've talked about Clarence like going to New York and coming back and now he's like can be in any room. You know what I'm saying? And and people people want that that diversity, that flavor, <clears throat> excuse me, that he has, you know. So I think people just from these outside influences in other areas, they're coming in, they are affecting the startup community for the better, I think to kind of help us to mix together. We go to a lot of events and I feel like you are one of the few people who I see where on any given event, whether it's, you know, I want a clearance spot or some of the other, you know, groups or gatherings that are a bit different in their demography, like you will be there. So it'll be like you and me kind of there. I think that's super cool about that. Uh, but let's say you, you know, you use your voice, right? Let's say you speak up in one too many rooms and, you know, you kind of get pushed out. You got to go to another ecosystem or you decide, hey, there's somewhere else for me to be. Nashville has been great to me and that was a great period of my life, but it's time for the next chapter. What other startup ecosystem outside of this greater Nashville area would you transition toward and why? There is an ecosystem of startups that's focused on social impact. They're focused on systems change. So that would be like Echoing Green, Tendril, Ashoka. And they really focus on helping startups that have a focus on social impact and a focus on system change. So I think that that community, getting deeper into that community, I would definitely um, do that. And it's more, um, I believe, you know, most of them are global. So nowhere in particular, would you become nomadic? Is that what I'm hearing? You wouldn't go to any one city? <laughs> No, because, you know, we go back to my childhood, right? I'm everywhere. Like, I do local stuff, but I do, a lot of my work is international. I'm about, you know, in the fashion industry, it's international. So I'm about connecting people globally. So there isn't one place. I don't want to be one place. I want to be everywhere. I want to help people everywhere. I want to connect people everywhere. I feel that. I was actually thinking about that today. We're, we're still finding a lot of alignment because one of the things I really love about Nashville, and I do love a lot of things about Nashville, I really do, is how easy it is to go in either direction, all of the directions. Like yeah. if I want to go up north to Chicago or Detroit, 
I'm centrally located. If I want to fly to California or to Texas, I can do that. If I want to go to the East Coast from, you know, Vermont on down to Miami, that's possible as well. I think it's a great place for somebody like yourself who likes to move around and stay connected, Mm -hmm. even having, you know, sort of direct international flights now. It's a great place. I'm putting on for national because I love it. (laughs) I want to ask you one more money question. Okay. I suspect there will be a quick answer, but hopefully a deliberate explanation. And that is, do you want to run, not start, not own, uh, not found, do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why or why not? Oh, you said run? (laughs) That's a totally different thing. Okay. I would say, why not? Why wouldn't you want to? I've heard people talk about this a lot that, oh, when you get money, people change and stuff like that. But I think you are the same person, right? So why not be able to take that billion dollar you know, company, funnel resources to people that need it globally, right? Help to, it, it would just help you to make more of an impact. I don't mind running company. I would say I don't mind it, but I would probably prefer to own it, you know, or actually, actually maybe co-own it. And, and I mean that in the decentralized way, right? So what if we did have this global network, but in this global network, everyone owned the company, right? Like a DAO or something like that. Why not? Kind of turn that question on its head a little bit. That's a very unique and intriguing response. Uh, I like that idea, though, because it's true to your ethos of, of equity and really you know, distributing that value more broadly. Uh, does it feel like we've kind of come to sort of the end a bit of this podcast? There are a few more questions. Don't worry if you want to keep going. But uh, we, we are approaching kind of the tail end of this. And I've enjoyed this. I really have getting a chance to get to know you better, to go deep, to laugh with you together. That's been good. Uh, and clearly Nashville is benefiting from your presence here and your ability to flow through in a very fluid way, all of the different things that Nashville has to offer. My next question is something that you may have already answered, but I want to circle back to greater than equal mm-hmm. and ask you a direct question, answer it however you like. But what is the most valuable thing that you do for people who enter your orbit with greater than equal? They see what you're doing. They become a part of it, whether they're a customer, relationship partner, what have you. What's the most valuable thing that greater than equal does for its stakeholders? I would say the most valuable thing that we do is that we foster thought-provoking, actionable, inspiring, creative fun conversations, right? So it's all about the conversation that you have. So this is this is whether you meet me randomly on the street or whether we're doing consulting with you, right? That you're always going to come away being inspired. You're always going to come away with what are your action steps? What can you do next to get toward your, your vision? Um, we're going to laugh, like you said, right? So I think it's about those conversations and we always want to foster those conversations in everything that we do. So if we're doing an event or we're working with you on something, it's it's just throughout everything. The other thing I would say, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about that strategic approach. So really focusing on the mission, your vision, and not just doing this one-off thing, but how does it integrate with everything else? And speaking of that, I do believe in at what I call whole person, vision-based marketing, right? What is that? So, you know, you talked about me being a mompreneur and 
I really believe in living an integrative life. So whenever I talk to someone or I have a client, whether it's an organization or whoever it is, you're still talking to a person. What is your purpose? What is your vision for your life? How does this project fit in with that? Whether it's an organization or a person. And what else is going on in your life? Do you have kids? You know, do you have another full-time job? Do you, what else is going on? Because how can we make this project what you're doing fit your purpose, fit your vision, fit your your time. It's really about or fit your strengths. What are your strengths? What should you be working on? Or what do you what are you passionate about that you want to do? So it's about having that approach that this is a person, not just this siloed thing. That is an open invitation that I hope that you take up because Camilla means it and it sounds like you are continuing to grow and expand. So one last question, mm -hmm. if folks are liking what you're hearing, they truly believe genuinely that empathy has no price, invaluable and priceless, and they want to reach out with you and learn a little bit more about Web3, about DAOs, about events, about making them more inclusive, about making them more equitable, maybe even just more about your journey and how you're able to find a friend in a variety of rooms. Uh, what is the best way that folks can get in touch with you, the response of you, uh, your response of me, I'm sure is, is true with, through across all your platforms. But how would you prefer that people reach out to you? Of course, I'm on LinkedIn under my own name, Camila Sanders, greaterthanequal.com. And then I also have my own website, camilasanders.com. So that gets in a little bit deeper into who I am and all the projects that I'm involved in. And Greater Than Equal, of course, is more focused on the events and marketing consulting and then I also have the fashionfuturist.io website where you can go on and, of course, all these connect to, you know, the podcast that I'm on and everything, you know, that I'm doing. DM me. I'm pretty uh, responsive. As long as you're not, like, selling me, it's obvious that you're selling me something, you know, but... But um, yeah, that's it. And I'm, I'm sure I have some links up to schedule appointments uh, with me. So This has been a long time coming. I'm glad we got reconnected. And I'm looking forward to seeing the work that you do continue and for you to touch more and more folks and to take us into the future of fashion and beyond. Uh, so with that, we will leave you with the last words before we peace out of here. Thanks for having me, of course. This is kind of what I leave people with a lot of times when I'm talking on a panel. You are enough right now to make an impact on the world. So whatever you have, doesn't matter what age you are, doesn't matter your income level, it doesn't matter anything. If you have a vision, you don't have to have another degree, you don't have to have anything but what you have right now to make an impact on the world. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, thank you again. This has been a phenomenal conversation. More to come. And with that, we will bid you adieu. Thank you. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Diverse Tech Founders Podcast. I'm Abraham J. Williamson, and we had yet another great guest to pop in. And if you enjoyed today's podcast recording, please give us a rating. You can do it right now on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, and we'll see you next week.